When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like Sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the Football Fanalytics podcast in association with 23. This is the show that explores the ever-growing world of football analytics and takes on the many tactical and topical discussions within the game. It's episode 45 and we're diving into some chat on substitutes this week. My name is Mark Carey and joining me as ever is Ryan Bailey, who I haven't seen since surprisingly yesterday um ryan you came and joined us at the athletic six aside kickabout i know i uh fulfilled the role of ringer at uh did. exactly an hour and 15 before kickoff uh, which i was absolutely honored to do uh i'm not gonna lie at the start mark as i was on my way driving to six aside power league in uh shepherd's bush i was thinking is this going to be one of those games of football that i've never had before where i'm walking into a group of people who know an awful lot about this sport, uh, not your average six-a-side players. Um, but no, it was really good fun. I really enjoyed it. Scored a couple of goals, you know. So all you, you, all you can ask for of your, of your ringers on a Tuesday, isn't it? You did. You scored some absolute belters. And we were running so late to get your car parked that I didn't even introduce you to anyone. So we didn't even have time. It was just go over there, go and join them and make sure you go and score some goals. So It's quite bold to invite a mate to come along and then put them on the other team without introducing them. But, you know, thrived through the uh, the power of football and go. a good time was had by all. No, it was there good fun. Go. Really enjoyed it. No, thanks for coming. He did it on a cold Tuesday evening in Shepherd's Bush. Uh, <laughs> and that's all you can ask of anyone. But speaking of the athletic, um, I know you sort of always dodge questions about work, but I haven't had a chance to ask you about uh, a couple of weekends ago when you reported on your first game live, which mm. I'm sure the listeners will be as interested to know about as I am. Uh, can you can you tell us what happened, Mark? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll try and paint a picture. Um, but I, yeah, I, I actually haven't fully caught up with you on this. Um, but no, it was really fun. I, uh, I went to, to report at the Brentford Community Stadium, the Brentford-Leicester game. I was the Leicester reporter for the day, um, which was really fun. I had like... 
you know, I had tasks to do. I had to be part of a, a match discussion for for the site during the the day before and after the game. Um, I went into all the the press area, had had a bit of food beforehand, then went and you know set up all my desk. Um, you get the Wi-Fi, so you're just making all notes. You're making sure that you're tweeting things out. There's a there's a monitor or a screen, so you can see all the replays and stuff. Um, wow. And just made notes throughout the game, and then made sure that I got a um, a match piece in, or it, trying to move away from that now, a bit more of like an analysis of what happened in the game. Um, yeah. Within a couple of hours of, of watching the game, so it was quite just a case of like digesting everything that had just happened, writing it up, and importantly, well, sadly for me, having to miss the Man United Liverpool game because oh, I had dear. to make sure that the piece was in in time. So that was probably the. The real crushing side of the day. It was an absolute like like a pleasure to do, um, but I I missed one of the what was someone said on Twitter was one of the best games of the decade. <laughs> <laughs> it literally was. <laughs> Which, from a Liverpool perspective, Which, is not not the one, is it? Yeah. When they said that, they weren't talking about the Brentford Leicester no. game. Sadly, <laughs> no. Well. Okay, well, I've got so many questions, and for the purposes of not making this a four-hour-long episode, I'm going to have to prioritise them. Go on. Uh, first of all, when you say your seat your or your desk, mm. wh- where do you mean? Is that in in the actual press box then? Yeah, I get. Well, I guess of sorts. Yeah, so you you go like out into the stand as though you were, uh, you know, you're going down out of the same bit as the the fans as well. But I just would go left slightly. And there would just be kind of just rows with seats and monitors where I would go and sit sort of just to the the right and sort of above the where the benches are. Um, so the dugouts, yeah. The dugouts, yeah. Um, where the substitutes are, theme of this episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, so I'd, I'd be sort of still like in and amongst it. I wasn't like in a like in a specific room or anything. I was still in and amongst it just on my laptop um, with the screen. And are you like one of, I don't know, 10 people there reporting on Leicester, for instance. Is there like people, local journalists and stuff next to you? Do you know what I mean? How, how's the sort of setup? I've always wondered whenever I see pictures of, you know, say when like John Murray pops up and he mm. takes a picture of his his view of the pitch. I'm always wondering sort of what's around that. Do you know what I mean? I've never been to a press box before. I, I guess so, yeah. And it well, I guess the commentators are up in like the gantry a little bit more. So it wasn't up there. I was more kind of in and amongst it, like with the fans a little bit. But yeah, there was people from, there's other reporters from other um, outlets. There was the, you know, the press people for the respective clubs as well. So I had to go and speak to the the Leicester um, media people just to make sure that like they knew that I was there. And for the post-match press conference, I knew what to do and things like that. So um, it was just a massive learning experience for me. I've never done this sort of thing before, but it was super fun. Um, I was just really glad to do it. And I'd love to do some more again, whoever that may be for. I just want to just go to more live games because you see so many different things, like the things off the ball, the, like the shape of the team, you know, whether there's... Because obviously the the television obviously follows the ball and follows the, mm. the key actions. It has the replays and things like that. But you just get to see... Obviously, everyone knows this from watching things live, but you, you forget just how much you can see, like, yeah, as I say, like team shape and and between like set pieces, things like that, what the organisation is and stuff. It's just great. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to go to more live games. It was great for me because I was obviously, you know, I was I was just on Twitter a little bit and I saw like your little match updates coming up, <laughs> like so-and-so's coming on for Leicester, 75th minute. Oh, that was fun. Final question before we move on. Did you meet Brendan Rodgers um 
yes and no in that I was on a Zoom call with Brendan Rogers, um, Quality. which was really good. And yes, yeah, so I was in the post-match press conference um, and I was super nervous as well. I was like, do I ask a question or should I just kind of leave it? But I'd made an observation of like what, what happened within the game. I felt like Leicester were kind of going long a little bit and bypassing the midfield. So I kind of wanted to ask him a question about that. Um, and like cards on the table, I basically asked the question. So I unmuted myself. I asked the question, started saying it, built myself up to ask this sort of profound question. Um, I even made a note of what I was going to ask. So I knew exactly what I was going to say. Um, and the response was silence. And I was like, oh, <laughs> what, what's going on? And then I looked back at the Zoom, having like built myself up to do it. Look back at the Zoom and I was still on mute. And I was thinking, no. are you joking? And I, I knew that I was off mute, but I think I've seen it back. And the press officer, I think, kind of had to re-mute me for a reason, just something that happened at their end. So I went on this long, old question. And then I unmuted myself again. I was like, oh, so sorry, Brennan. Can can you hear me okay? And he was like, yeah, no, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead with your question mark. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so I asked the question again, and he gave a fantastic answer. Um, really thorough, really At least detailed. you got to practice it once then, to be fair. Yeah, I guess so. But I was next, I was still in the, you know, in the stand at this point. So all of the other journalists like around me have just seen that I've just had an absolute shocker. <laughs> Um, Hello, Brendan. Are you there? Hello, yeah, Brendan. I was one. Yeah, the classic like Zoom. Oh, you're on mute thing. I never thought I'd be that person, <laughs> but I was. And uh, I managed to ask the question in the end. And he, because it was a sort of a tactical one, which you know he he loves the tactical side of it. He gave a really like full answer, and it was great. Um, so I left it there. I didn't ask a subsequent question. I was like, thank you. What a job, eh? What a job, eh? No, really I mean, fun. that's that's just a fun story for anyone. Well, <laughs> I for one hope that you go to more games. Mute yourself for more questions with managers and uh, <laughs> and continue to do what you're doing. Thank you. So we're going to talk about substitutes today. And it's, right, it's kind of a, not an overlooked part of the game, but I think it's something where we sort of take it for granted just how important substitutes kind of are to the game. Almost every game and every team have like play their substitutes, but it's something which isn't kind of thought of as a kind of a key part of the game in terms of how you can make the most of substitutes is that kind of fair to say well mark you're talking to a man who spent most of his uh, childhood football career as a substitute uh, and i can tell you that sitting on the bench in your shorts in the middle of winter absolutely freezing you definitely do feel a little bit overlooked um but i remember you mentioned this a few weeks back now that this was a subject you wanted to talk about it was after the mark noble incident uh, mm. against Manchester United which for anyone who doesn't know what that example is uh, where have you been but also mm. uh, I'll just explain quickly basically Mark Noble came on in the was it like the 95th minute it was West Ham versus Man United where Man United were 2-1 up and uh, was it the 95th minute I think where the, like West Ham got a penalty basically if it wasn't the last kick it was like the, the penultimate kick of like the whole Essentially, game yeah and uh, and David Moyes brought on Mark Noble to take the penalty kick and he subsequently missed um and i think that's the only example i can ever remember where genuinely a substitute has been brought on specifically to take a penalty which i know has happened but but where it's the first kick of the game that they've had he he genuinely wasn't even on he ran from the substitute's bench didn't he he just got thrown the, the ball yeah, because obviously there's the England example in the Euros where Rashford, Sancho got brought on and they obviously weren't warm and then they missed their penalties. But at least they kind of had 
two minutes to run around. Whereas Mark <laughs> Noble had no time at all, did he? Yeah, I don't know whether with, with Rashford and Sancho whether they actually got a kick of the ball, but the, yeah, you're right. They still had a couple of minutes on the pitch, but they had a yeah, jog. They had a jog. Yeah, it was it was an odd one. It was very odd. Just on the note of, uh, of substitutes of like being one as well. I do feel your pain, especially when I was I just finished playing like youth football and then was playing adult football where I still I was obviously too young to play properly. But rather than sit on the bench, I had to run the line and be the linesman. Oh dear! Which is I'd rather sit on the bench. And you just know that you're never going to get on because like, you're on the other side of the pitch and you can't even do your stretches in front of the manager to try and prove that you're ready to yes. go on. Um, I certainly never got yes. brought on as a, as a sub to take a penalty. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, I mean, that Mark Noble one was weird, Mark. What was your thoughts on that? No, I did think it was weird. That was kind of why I wanted to, to cover this. Um, but it sort of coincided with, I think it was either just before or just after, with something which I thought was really interesting. It was an article that actually caught my eye from training ground guru who basically said that there's there's been someone who's been hired by AFC Wimbledon who are a league one team uh, for anyone who doesn't know and they've yes yeah, so they recently signed someone on a sort of a trial basis who is um the well football's first known specialist substitution coach and I actually think thinking back I think I read this before the Mark Noble example because I was thinking this could be the perfect opportunity to say that yeah, this he could have done with basically a substitution coach. And I think that what this role was, it's someone called Sammy Lander. Um, and what this role kind of does in a nutshell is get you, as well as kind of physically ready, you know, you're, you're nice and warm, you're stretched and stuff. That's notwithstanding. But actually kind of in a good psychological, mental state and space to be able to go and impact the game, none more so than the equaliser against Manchester United in the final minute with a penalty. Yeah. Like it, that was just obviously the very extreme example. Now, he's an experienced player, Mark Noble. He's about to retire soon. But that was the sort of the, the debate after, wasn't it? Should he have been the one to, to take it? Was he in the mental space? Was he in the right physical space? I mean, it's kicking a ball at a goal. He has had his whole career kicking a football. Like, it's got to be more than that. He is perfectly capable of executing a shot. But is he in the right mental space? And I think that's just what's sort of interesting. Again, maybe an overlooked part of football of just how important it is to come on as a substitute and be absolutely ready to go. Mm. Well, we, I mean, ready to go in general when you've been brought on just to play the game, but to be brought on specifically for such a pressure moment, what what more pressure is there than coming on in the last second to be nominated to take a penalty or in the Euros final as uh, as the England boys experienced? How do you prepare for that when you haven't been given any time to ease yourself in or, or get a feel for things? It's sort of a ridiculous ask isn't it I guess these are insanely extreme examples but interesting when you mentioned at first a substitutions coach I didn't know if you meant a coach who teaches the manager like when's the best time and how to like make substitutions or you, you know tactically gives them advice on mm. how to use their substitutes etc I, I, I only just clocked that you meant that they work with the substitutes to to prepare them. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's probably with that, I imagine. I mean, it's, it's new, you know, in terms of those specialist coaches. We obviously had Thomas Gronemark on the on the podcast, a specialist throw-in coach, and mm. people sort of laughed at that to begin with, but he's giving, you know, a lot of professional clubs the edge in, in their throw-in as well. Throw-ins, I should say. But um, yeah, I think it's the, the design is to upskill 
all the staff, I suppose. So it's probably not, it is to work with the players, but if you can also speak, this Sammy Lander, speak with the, the manager and the other coaches as well, then it can upskill everyone and maybe look to, to optimise, you know, go beyond just getting them in a good psychological space, but go beyond that and um, and work with the, the coaching staff to make sure everyone knows what's going to happen um, to, to get the most impact. As I say, that's what it's all about and getting the edge. Um but with the, it's funny you should say about the Sancho and, and Rashford thing because there was a an article um, which basically there was this Sammy Lander speaking about his role and how it came to be and stuff and his sort of his pitch that he gave to the AFC Wimbledon staff to sort of come on board was his observations from that game. So he said that he'd highlighted little bits of the final when Sancho and Rashford came off the bench and he said they weren't warming up down the touchline; they were just walking. So bear in mind this is the the European Championship final. The first time that England have been in that European Championship final at Wembley, and it might have been sort of out of being fearful, I don't know, but they just these players who are about to come on just weren't kind of match sharp. So he said, mm. he's like, I, he said the, the following quote I think they were out warming up for about 11 minutes, and for about seven of those, they were stood still. For about two minutes, they were doing groin stretches, and then for about one minute, they were sort of just sat watching. Now, Mm. There's, there's so much that you can immediately do there that they weren't physically psychologically ready to to come on so at the highest level there's still so much room to to improve those things so it does kind of baffle me that yes yeah, mad when you think about it this hasn't been kind of if not kind of like looked at sooner that there's not a kind of a better preparation you know we're talking about fan and analytics and we speak about like our sunday league experiences and stuff like that seems as applicable to a Sunday league team as the European Championship final. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Like I said before, I genuinely, you know, used to warm up in front of the manager, run up and down as many times as I could to prove that I was ready to come on, but I was sweating by the end of it because I was <laughs> that, that keen. So, um, yeah, 100% agree with that. I remember you said something in the past to me that, uh, that stuck with me and just in terms of it's, you know, there's a coach for absolutely everything else. And, you know, Thomas Cronenmark was one of them. But in terms of just every other aspect of the game for, for for minimal sort of gains and stuff. But substitutions are literally something that happen in every single yeah. game, in every single match across the world. You know, unless you can't get 11 players on a Sunday in which you can't, you <laughs> yeah. know, you can't make a substitution. But um, yeah, it, it's something that happens. So So it's quite interesting that it's not looked into more, but also that substitutes are sort of just see it's sort seen as such a negative thing to be, isn't it? Or such a you know a demoralising thing if you're named on the bench, but yet you still have the chance to come on and be ready and all these things. So um, yeah, it's it's very interesting. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, that's that's the sort of the main sort of outcome that I think these these coaches sort of want. And it, I mean, you can choose to not play any substitutes in the game that's sort of out of choice but more often than not you have at least one substitute don't you and it's the same with Thomas Grandemark in that there's that invariably there are throw-ins in the game so why are people kind of ridiculing it because it's something that is fundamental to the game you may as well try mm. and get as much out of it as you can but you're right and it's an interesting point about that kind of you do feel like you are kind of second best if you are on the substitutes bench but there's something which actually goes back to um Rugby, and I think we've spoken about this before in terms of Eddie Jones, who's the uh, the head coach for for England, um, obviously rugby, uh, rugby union. He sort of reframed substitutions and called them finishes, which I thought was really, really, really clever in terms of it being like, no, th there is a specific role for you, and I and you, I am tasking you with 
you know, if we're winning, going out there and seeing out the game, your role is just as important as, you know, everyone else who's who's maybe started. Almost from like an American football perspective where everyone has a, a specialist position. You've got your kickers who come yeah. on, et cetera. And it's like, no, go out there and do your specific role. And every single one of you is as important. And that obviously then helps the the team, sort of the, well, the team and the squad, um, you know, bonding and the, the camaraderie and coming together as a group. You're more likely to have success if everyone's on board and pulling in the right direction. So even just the psychological side of it, I find yeah. really interesting. It just empowers them. Because you're giving, yeah, because you're giving those players a purpose, aren't you? And you're giving them a, an importance to come on and, and you as you say, either see out the game or come on and, and give us something different that we need to absolutely inject some some energy and or whatever it might be that we're lacking. Come on and change it. I mean, if I'm on the pitch and you know I'm on the opposition and we're hanging on for dear life, then I see a fully warmed up star player about to come on. I'm not thinking, oh, they're a substitute who couldn't get in the starting team. I'm thinking there's someone who's going to come on and finish us off. So I really like the mentality of looking at it like that. It's a really cool thing. Yeah, and it obviously completely depends on, as we've spoken about many times, the game state. As in, it might be that you do know you do need you know someone to to come on and grab your goal, and they're they're really pumped up. And it's not to say that every substitute comes on feeling sorry for themselves, but you know you, there's always that sort of disappointment if you don't start a game, sort of thing. But it depends on the game state whether you are seeing out a game or you need to go and nick a goal or keep it tight at the back, whatever it might be. But again, I just think it's really clever to just empower the the player, do give that sort of shift. Um, and if any substitute coach can help with that or even just a sort of sports psychologist can help with that reframing it it can only be a good thing um i think we saw it quite often with the euros i know we often have a, an england centric focus on things but i think jordan henderson did that quite a lot did it quite well in terms of it was often declan rice and calvin phillips who were starting in midfield and had it not been for injury you would have thought that henderson would have been the start one of the starters in midfield but he yeah. came on in a lot of the games and he did just kind of sure things up, didn't he? And it, if, it wasn't, yeah, yeah. if it wasn't a finisher, he was just, he came in to just be solid and just keep it sort of ticking over and just inject that bit more, if not a bit more energy than just that professionalism. And obviously it works, it got them to the final. But those are the sorts of examples which is just like, no, don't, don't like throw your toys out the pram even or feel sorry for yourself. You know, you, you have a really important role and, I know from reading uh, another article that Gareth Southgate had spoken to Eddie Jones, the the England rugby head coach, about that. So he's trying to get as much as he could from different coaches, different sports. And he spoke to Eddie Jones Mm. about that um, and sort of reframed it himself or took on that idea of finishes. I just think it's an undervalued and probably overlooked part of the game. I know I said it before, but it's something where, if again, if you can eke out just even 1%, like we spoke about with Thomas Grandemark in a few few episodes ago – if you can get a bit more out of the the substitutes, then that could be the difference between a, you know, if you're winning, then the difference between a win and a draw, or if you're you're drawing, you need someone to go and score a draw or a win. So it's just something which, uh, yeah, it, this is on a trial basis with this AFC Wimbledon substitution coach, but I think that we'll be seeing more and more of this, to be honest. Okay, so we've outlined that this substitution coach exists again on a trial basis and we won't truly know exactly what goes on kind of whether it is day-to-day or a part-time role but in in one of the articles and we can link it in the bio what this Sammy Lander says is that mentioned it before but his job is to make sure that players are 
as prepared as possible to go on and impact the game in all ways. And he says that's in sort of a physical way, a mental side of it, socially, technically and tactically. And also then help the team make the, the right substitutions, I guess, at the right time. So it comes back to what you said before, Ryan, in terms of that decision making for the whole staff to make sure that you're not just throwing on the potentially the, the right person at the wrong time or the wrong person at the right time, etc. Um, but it got me thinking, I don't know what you think, but what would be a really good kind of example of how you could make substitutes better? And I've thought this for ages. I've actually got two in mind, but I'll say my first one first. Is that with the Rashford and, and Sancho example, none of them get the opportunity to kick a ball about. It's so narrow in football stadiums that you can't mm. knock a ball about and ping it down the touchline unless you were extremely careful um, so that the ball didn't go on the pitch which used to be a thing yeah. that I would do as a substitute in Sunday league <laughs> then you'd run on and get it definitely happened before but I think this should be an opportunity for the players to either in a changing room or somewhere between the changing room and the tunnel there should be like a little zone maybe like a little astroturf pitch and you just bounce the ball off the wall or something just get your feet going so that you've kicked it and touched it even just you know 50 times like you would as a it's sort of rudimentary but like you would as a kid against a wall just getting that you know you've had a feel for the ball I think that would be a really important one in terms of like going forward but that's more of a system thing which a coach... or basically a little square and you, you get all the uh get all the subs to have a game of one t one b just at the side of the pitch yeah exactly <laughs> or my one which I was thinking as well which I used to have when I was a kid but it was more of like a a soft ball but you could like clip it onto your belt and basically kick a ball on a string and it sounds daft, but you could exactly like, you could have one of like a, a proper football and just have it around like a belt and just kick a ball about. But the point is, like it it has a serious tone, right? Like you actually get a touch for the ball before your task is to go on the pitch and kick a ball about. It's not that difficult to do. But as I say, you'd need to probably change the infrastructure in the the football stadiums to allow you to have that space, unless you got a belt with a football. Anyway, <laughs> just quickly, I think, well, I think my favourite thing in the world would be if, uh, in, you know, someone was randomly listening to this episode and then we were watching the Premier League at the weekend and you just saw one of the subs <laughs> with one of those kicky string things just walking up and down the pitch doing kick-ups on a leash. It'd be brilliant. No, I, honestly, I, you laugh, but I think that it could it could be good. Or we'll see Dragon's Den in the next few weeks and months. Yeah. And it'll be a new idea. <laughs> the finisher. <laughs> I heard it here for, yeah, the finisher. Oh, I like it already. Maybe let's Ooh. just cut this out of the actual episode and not let anyone else yeah, know. Yeah, keep that for ourselves. Um, but no, so I, I think I have another one, but do you have any that you think could be good? I'm sure it won't be anywhere near as what you've got. No, so so tell me. Well, no, my next one's actually quite a boring one. It's one that's already kind of done in professional sport, but I see that, again, in rugby, they, they have just um, exercise bikes just on the sidelines and just get their legs that's going. That's not a bad idea. I just think that, like, yes, yeah. you can go up and down, the, you know, do some shuttles, do some groin stretches while you clap to the away fans and stuff, like... Yeah, if you've seen it on like the Peter Crouch podcast or heard it on the Peter Crouch podcast, that it just says like it is a bit of a nonsense when you're warming up. But if you just get the legs going, yeah. and get a bit of resistance on the exercise bike, like the legs are probably like you know warmer and stretch far better if you had an exercise bike on the sidelines. So that was my second idea. Maybe instead of when they're all sat in the dugout, you know, when you just the camera cuts to like all the subs and they look just sat freezing in their little, you know booths with the massive coats on maybe it should just be like a spin class like at the side <laughs> and just get everyone sort of just doing it um no I, I think you've i think you could be a, you could you know if this athletic thing doesn't work out mate maybe you could be a substitute coach yeah get, get on the phone to sammy lander and just see if he you know needs a hand um yeah no i, I think it'd be good fun i mean i actually quite 
like it when the camera cuts to the substitutes on the <laughs> side. My favourite person to watch is Timo Werner. I feel like every single time it goes, did you see the wine gums one? Yes. A couple of yes. weeks ago. He wasn't actually a sub that day though, was he? But it was still, he was just yeah, a bit Well, he'd come off, but like, I just, yeah, I, I love, or whenever you look at Donny van der Beek and he's just sort of sat there like, contemplating his life but yeah. that's, that's he, he exactly do- it though isn't it like they they are like glum they're cold they aren't very happy because well unless they've made their three substitutions or five substitutions depending on the, the situation but like unless the substitutions are finished you can see why they would be sort of irritated but if again if they're being asked to to go onto the pitch and impact the game and they are wrapped up in their coats they are just bored and unhappy how do you expect them to perform to the highest level? Knowing they're never going to come on. Yeah it, yeah, yeah, it makes no sense. So you never know when someone's going to get injured or what. You don't know. So I, I, again, I, was, I find it weird. I was thinking the other night, actually, you know, when uh, Man United played Atlanta, I was like, I, I was wondering, I think I think he brought on Van der Beek and Sancho with like four minutes to go. And I was thinking, what are they meant to do in four minutes? Mm. You know what I mean? Like I would have brought them on so much earlier, A, from a point of view of, having them warmed up and been raring to go. But also just, just how are you meant to affect the game in four minutes, really? It, you know, and that's all the chances they get, which got me thinking, is there a, you know, sort of an average time that managers bring on substitutes? Do you know what I mean? I'm sure that things like game state and everything affect it. But I wonder what you always, I, I don't know, but in my head, I always think maybe the 60th minute is roughly when people start to think about making a sub, isn't it? Mm. Unless someone's had a shocking first half and they bring them off at half-time. Mm. I'd say around 60 minutes, but I'd, I'd actually be interested to know what the kind of manager average was. Yeah, good question. It's one of those which, again, if you if you have a larger sample size, it can actually kind of like blur the line a little bit because it is very yeah. much kind of, it depends on the game, it depends on the opponent, it depends on the whole situation. So it's quite, I'd say it's quite situation dependent, but you, I suppose you can kind yeah. of get trends over... A longer period um and it's something which we kind of <laughs> spoke about the athletic a lot haven't i this episode i promise we won't do that very often because <laughs> we are our own do you work at the athletic know, no we are our own separate podcast ryan but for next week we won't do it quite as much but we actually did do one as a whole kind of staff we got the whole of the premier league writers to kind of weigh in on it but i sort of drew all the um drew the numbers together and it was at the end of or towards the end of last season so of the premier league season i should say but um so we don't have the trends quite as much for this season. But looking at last season, basically one of the graphics that I pulled together was yeah, the average minute of the substitute for uh, all the teams and how many substitutions they made per game. So ah. at the time that we wrote it, which was April of last year, so it's more just that it can be done. So it's not necessarily like up-to-date trends. But at the time, Arsenal were the only team who had made three substitutions in every single game. So Arteta wow. likes to make... Um, or you, likes to use his whole bench. Um, and the team who made the fewest substitutions was actually Man City, which is probably because they rotate drastically between games rather than within the games, which I thought was quite interesting. Burnley Very also interesting. weren't too far behind, but probably because they've got a threadbare squad and they probably yeah. couldn't unless yeah. they had to ask someone in the crowd to come on. Um, and in terms of the sort of the average substitution minute, um, the earliest was Leeds United, actually. So Bielsa shuffles his pack um, early doors, um, which I thought was quite interesting. And one of the mm. latest was actually West Ham. And I think this was something I did look at recently with David Moyes not um, really, not frequently changing his starting eleven 
very often. Really likes a settled side kind of between the games. Yeah. Which is interesting considering they are playing in Europe this year. Um, and also not tending to change too much within the game as well. So as, as long as he can, possibly, he won't make substitutions very early, if at all. Um, which I thought right. was interesting as well. So it's just, it's manager style. Obviously, it depends on injuries and things like that. But, yeah, um, yeah. you know, given the opportunity, it looks like there is a bit of a trend with certain managers. Interesting. Also, that's a, another conversation itself, maybe for another day, about how uh, often people and managers rotate their squads. That's very interesting. Because we all know uh, that Pep screws us over every single week with uh, with fancy football and he tinkers about. Yeah. Have we just thought of a new episode whilst recording an episode? That was amazing. Oh, well, Unagi. Well done. <laughs> um. <laughs> I think we have. Okay, well, thanks everybody. Join us for next week's episode where we'll be talking about that exact topic. Um, no, genuinely, I think we should return to that. And I think it's one of those where, as you spoke about last episode... We need a bit of a larger sample size, need a bit of a longer period before we get some trends going. But I think we yeah. should look at that maybe halfway through this season, um, which there should we be go. fun. There we go. But, well, I guess in the meantime, um, I think we should wrap up there. I, I always enjoyed talking about the football side of things and the numbers side of things. But yeah, I thought it was an interesting topic about the substitutions coach. Again, it's a bit more about just getting the edge where you possibly can. Um, so I hope that you enjoyed that, listeners. Um, I certainly enjoyed it. Ryan, thank you as ever for joining me. Um, We always wrap up by just saying that you can contact us. Please do get in contact with us um, and just give us any any thoughts that you have on what you think of the episodes or any questions or any topics you'd like us to cover. We are absolutely all ears. And you can do that by emailing us fanalytics.pod at gmail.com or you can contact us on Instagram or Twitter at fanalytics.com. Awesome. Enjoy the rest of your week, everybody. We will see you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.